Welcome to the Wholehearted Eating Podcast, where non-diet nutrition, weight-inclusive care, and integrative health collide. We're your hosts, Dana Montes and Christina Hoyt, licensed integrative clinical nutritionists and body image coaches. And we believe you deserve to have a joyful relationship with food in your body, even if you have a chronic health condition or symptoms that just won't quit. On this show, together and with our guests, we're bringing the real talk, no BS5, with tangible tools to help you pursue health and wellness without obsession or restriction. Remember our disclaimer, this podcast is meant for general information purposes only and should not be taken as a substitute for medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. On today's body image-focused episode, Christina and I are interviewing Hilary Kanavi and Dana Sturtevant, the therapist-dietitian team who founded the Center for Body Trust and who recently released their book, Reclaiming Body Trust, A Path to Healing and Liberation, which we absolutely love. Hillary and Dana founded the Center for Body Trust in 2005 to offer programs that encourage movement towards a compassionate, weight-inclusive model of radical care to address body oppression, heal body shame, and associated patterns of chronic dieting and disordered eating. Body Trust is an invitation to return to a relationship with your body and yourself that you want to be in your lifetime, flexible, compassionate, and connected. You can find their book and all of their social media links at centerforbodytrust.com. For us, this book feels like coming home to your body and we cannot wait for you to listen. Also, if you haven't noticed yet, there are two Danas on this episode, myself, obviously, and then Dana from the Center for Body Trust, who is also a dietitian. So if you get a little bit confused, it's okay. We have a little bit of a Dana sandwich on today's episode. like starting to read the book and really feeling so much like so much heart went into it we and we can tell by the way that it's written like so much thought and care has gone into it we'd love for you to share um you know what in your heart called you to write this book because you can tell that you are two clinicians who've worked in this field for a very long time there's a lot of practical tools in ways of thinking about things um, without it being overly data-driven or heavy. And so we would love for you to share, you know, what inside you guys really called you to write this incredible book. Yeah, we, um, you know, we've been working together for 17 years and we we really developed the language and philosophy that is body trust, sitting in rooms with people, listening to their stories um, and helping them have a different relationship with food in their bodies. And the work has, has evolved significantly over those 17 years. We've always had some idea that we would write a book um, at some point. We, we talked about it here and there. Um, Hillary has long dreamed to have you know write a book um and we wouldn't have been ready anytime sooner we the book we would have written five years ago would be very different than the book we wrote you know in the last couple of years and you know this is incredibly nuanced work and it's really nice to have it in a format that you can just like give it to people and we want this to make sense to people who've never heard about it before. You know, we kind of have our echo chamber that, you know, knows this work and will read the book and 
you know, get stuff out of it. But then there's, you know, people that have never, don't even know that this is an option. And we love the fact that this can reach more people in more places, in places that don't have access to community, um, to, to helping professionals that know about this work and work from this ethic. Um, and so, you know, when I think about what, what, um, what in our heart called us to do it, it was really to put it out into the world in a, in a bigger way um, so more people have access to it. I don't know what Hillary would say. I'm just, I appreciate what you offered, Dana. I was thinking the same. And I, and as you were talking, one thing that came to mind was, um, you know, so much of the folks that have trusted us with their stories and their body stories and their, and their recovery process have been people that haven't been in the data, right? Like they're not included. Um, and, and that's because they live in larger bodies or they have some other kind of um, identity that is marginalized and has kept them been, from really being seen and met in traditional eating disorder treatment settings, for instance. Um, and, you know, we were lucky enough to hear the nuance of all those stories and also the themes in those stories that don't show up in the data and they don't show up really anywhere, right? Like we don't hear these stories. And I think um, that was, that's the heart of our work is that Dana and I learned how to do this work by listening to the people in front of us, not by listening to the so-called experts in the field, because the experts weren't really speaking our language very often. So that's a big part of this book too, is not really wanting an expert stance at all in this conversation, but really wanting an exploration of what's true, um, you know, kind of in the process of reclaiming and reckoning in what ha- what's happened and why living in our bodies uh, becomes so hard in this culture. Yeah, we love that. And we also love that in the way that you all talk about in the book, and it's so beautifully written. One of the things that we frequently talk about on the podcast is um, reframing things in a way that is kind of an invitation. And one of the things that I love about the way that the book is written is on the one hand, you can tell that you have worked with so many people that have these lived experiences and stuff. And one of the things that you can tell from the way that the book is written and the different ways that you practically tell teach people, you know, really what is going on it's less of a like how to you know fix this and we're going to be talking about the concept of fixing later we definitely wanted to dive into that um but it's more of a permission slip and an invitation of like let's explore what has gotten you to this point and how you can kind of come back to yourself instead of trying to outsource the knowing and the learning and the everything like that. It's learning how to reconnect with the internal wisdom and using that to guide you forward. And we loved that about the book so far. (laughs) Yeah, we really wanted it to be, um, I mean, there's so many data-driven books out there and they're needed, you know, and that's some people's niche is to, you know, shred the data and show something different. And we also know there's other ways of knowing. And when people come to this work, they hear the truth. And then usually they want to go and diet one more time and try to lose the weight before they do it. <laughs> oh my gosh, 
buy it a dollar every time. I'm going to lose weight first and then I'm going to come back to you. Like, yeah. no. <laughs> then I'll do this that. body trust thing. <laughs> um, you know, so we wanted to, we, we want to appeal to something different. We want people, this really to come from within, to be a, a, a process of reflection and introspection that helps them find their own story and their own narrative and start to change the narrative that they've had in their, in their lives um, and give them, you know, some different perspective to think about. And we know people wander and return, you know, that's like people, there's the rupture is the first section, which is really understanding how we lost trust and that we're not born into this way of thinking and occupying and relating to our bodies, that this is something that, that like seeds are planted very young. And by the time we get to adulthood, we don't even think to question what we've been taught to believe. By the time we get to our medical training, we don't think to question what we've been taught to believe. Um, and many people want to skip that reckoning part. They want to go from the rupture to the reclamation and not do all that yucky, mucky <laughs> work. And yet that's where often the magic happens is in that space where we really strengthen our commitment to something different. Uh, and you're going to need that when, like you said, when you're weaving in and out of it, when you're going through those little periods of time, when it's really difficult to kind of work through it and to continue going. And we're going to talk about that more um, a little bit later too, but then thinking of, how important that piece is, right? And so before we go too deep um, into all those additional questions, um, in the, bo in the book, um, you guys defined body trust is radically different way to occupy and care for your body. And so in a very simple way, do you want to share with us what is body trust and what makes it different? Yes, we've been preparing our elevator speech for those <laughs> early on in our book um, interviews. People are like, so what is body trust? And I was like, oh, this is really hard to do succinctly. <laughs> so, so I have my notes. <laughs> you would think I would be able to explain it very succinctly, but it's a complex No, it's too concept. Earlier, it's nuanced, right? Like you can't just define something like that. So yeah, we understand that there's nuance and readers, if you don't get it, you're going to get it in a minute. Like you'll understand. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> I mean, one of the things we start with is that, you know, body trust is a birthright. It's, it's something that gets hijacked often before the age of 10. And when we lose trust in any relationship with our life, we just we don't just say, I'm going to trust you now. Right? We rebuild that trust through small, consistent acts. And, you know, it's a birthright. And that often is is something that gets we know people want this for their children, you know, for the next generation. And yet, you know, people often struggle to um, adopt it for themselves. But it's really body trust is a radically different way of relating to occupying and caring for your body in a culture that doesn't trust bodies, you know, especially certain people's bodies. Um, it's developing an analysis of what's come between you and being at home in your body, how you've lost body trust. Um, body trust is getting out of your head and back into your body. We say it's a homecoming 
where people are kind of navigating the world like floating heads. And, you know, the culture is very, um, you know, it habituates us to leave. And so, and, and when we're thinking about weights and um, food and stuff, people are really heady. They're like, how many calories, how many points, what's the right portion, right? It's all up in the head. It has nothing to do with what, do I like it? Am I hungry? How much do I need to feel satisfied? Does it taste as good as I thought it would be? Like these kinds of questions are much more, you know, um, much more related to your body and what your body is telling you and what you believe. And then body trust is divesting from diet culture and toxic fitness culture, which is a term that Ilya Parker of decolonizing fitness coined. Um, and it's also divesting from social constructs of beauty and worth. Um, and ultimately body trust is a reclamation of self, body, voice, pleasure, food, movement, and more. Yeah. So everyone buy the book. <laughs> <laughs> and then magically you're going to feel like you're home. And like, <laughs> I love how in the book you mentioned that too, about how this isn't like a, a simple solution or like a fix. This is the like so many layers upon layers and you can get that even in the way that you're defining body trust and what's making it different is there's no way to not see how complicated it is and every time i i don't know whenever i think about this i i have a three and a half year old and a and a newborn and i think i think for me one of the things that like really hit home with that it's something that is implanted and seated in you is that I saw it in my daughter. She didn't have any of this. Like none of these things were coming up for her at any point. And I'm already at three and a half working really hard to maintain it and like, to not let anyone else infiltrate it. And you hear people saying stuff already, even when she was two um, or even one, like at our first birthday party, like, oh, you're going to give her a regular cupcake. And it's like, well, yeah, <laughs> give her a regular cupcake. But I think that one of the things that I really love about, about what you're saying is that it is a homecoming and it is this place that is, we already have all of this inside, inside of us. And we need to, in some ways, the book is almost this way of like, a, a step-by-step um, how to unleash that part of yourself that's like that's in there but just been stifled down for so long and I, I love how um, Dana you mentioned how this is something that um, we innately already know how to do um, but we've given it to other people to tell us what we're supposed to do um, and that's really hard to kind of reconcile when like you said we've been indoctrinated into this over and over and over again um but yeah so i i man i want body trust for everybody right like, isn't that what everybody needs and wants and what we we were supposed to have you know um right from the beginning um dina do you have any thoughts My, our dana dana do you have any thoughts <laughs> <laughs> we have two danas and I, we said to each other beforehand like how are we going to distinguish between the two so I'm supposed it's to a dana sandwich today we love this <laughs> um yeah so one of the things that we really loved about the beginning beginning of the book and we refer to this frequently on our podcast and in our courses and with our clients and stuff is setting the scene mm -hmm. um is one of the things that you all did so beautifully was 
defining the concepts and the things that you use with how you're going to teach things, right? Using the, for example, the teachings of Kristen Neff for self-compassion and just kind of like a general background and prerequisites of like, hey, here are a bunch of the things that we're going to be talking about in this book. And then we also loved that you were like, here are the things that we're not going to be talking about, right? And so things like weight loss and quick fixes and, you know, fixing your body image and, you know, very outward, 100%, no holds barred body positivity, right? And one of the other things that we thought was so interesting and very important that you included in here as well is the concept of nutrition, right? Like we're not going to be talking about nutrition, how to, or anything in this book. And we love that you brought up the concept of nutrition as more of a philosophy or ideology rather than a solid science. Um, and we would love as nutrition professionals ourselves, like we love this and we would love to know like what led you all to come to this conclusion and want to very clearly delineate that in the book as well. Well, Dana's the nutritionist, the dietitian. So I'll let her answer in just a second, but I'll start by saying, you know, nutrition, the field of nutrition is not solving anything by inundating people with facts and information. You know, like no one's ever read a pamphlet and said, oh, everything, you know, I'm going to do this now. And so I think that's one way is like nutrition is heady AF and, you know, like it's just part of the problem, not part of the solution when people have been ridiculed and othered by the culture for some aspect of their identity, such as fatness, and then handed these tools in order to fix themselves to get themselves closer to belonging if they use the tools correctly, that is really fucked, right? Like that is, and that is what, how nutrition science is being uh, wielded, I think. And so um, we don't find that folks who are reading our book need new more nutrition information. We find, find folks that you know, need, need freedom and some grounding that there is no meal that's going to heal us or kill us unless you have a peanut allergy. Right. So, and I'll let Dana add whatever. <laughs> she Real quick. Thinking. I think you're right, Hillary, when you said that's like the definition of fucked, it absolutely is the definition yeah. of fucked up. It is. And I think it, it absolutely is for sure. And I think as nutrition professionals too, like, I think we've evolved the same way that Dana, you wrote in the book about how you've evolved as a nutritionist in our education. And then the more you have lived experiences with your clients and learning about the body and how complicated it is. I, I literally just screenshot an, a, an email that I got today uh, to Dana before we had this interview about type two diabetes and some stuff in there. And I, and in the email said, Oh, the four myths. And I said to her, I go, I wonder if the four myths are going to include that this is all everything they're learning in this masterclass is a bunch of bullshit. Like, <laughs> like, like what is, you know, cause some of the, some of the language around, it, I'm not going to say it to, cause I don't want to cause anything for anyone else, but I think it's really refreshing to hear nutrition professionals talk about how nutrition can sometimes be complete nonsense in a culture where it's treated as if it's everything. And it can be kind of overwhelming for people to, to hear that and say, wait, how can you possibly say that? 
but yeah we are yeah I think you know we we write a little bit about nutritionism in the book and which the, the word ism implies ideology and people are willing to take nutrition advice from just about anybody which blows my mind and because most healthcare provide well not most all healthcare providers have their own relationship with food in their bodies and what often gets recommended to people is their own personal food philosophy not anything rooted in you know science it's just like this is what's worked for me or this is this is what i believe in i'm vegan everyone should be vegan or whatever it is and um and too many healthcare providers go out beyond their scope of practice when it comes to the field of nutrition um and then you know our training is not nuanced it's it's there's you know it was it's a field created by white people dominated by white people upholding white foods you know eurocentric ways of eating even if you look at the mediterranean diet you know that it includes turkish people and you know other countries with that have people of color but we don't hear about those parts of the mediterranean diet we hear about italy right um and I'm still learning a little bit more about the field and kind of the roots and where the field sprung from. But, you know, it was a lot in home economics and domestic science and what creating a, a good household was. So there's a lot of crap to unpack and I'm still unpacking it, you know, learning about it. Um, and when my, you know, when people used to come, I don't see clients as often anymore, but when I was in clinical practice, seeing a lot of clients, they would, when they came to me, the last thing they needed was somebody telling them what to eat, because that's, that's all they'd received to solve this so-called problem was, well, here's what you should eat. And then by the time they get to me, they've been told to eat carbs and they've been told not to eat carbs and they've told to eat protein and they've been told to eat a vegan diet. And they've been told, you know, and I've even worked in a health food store where, you know, one person said, you know, put the tops of the carrots in my juice. Cause there's so many nutrients in my juice. And the next person was like, cut the carrot an inch from the top. Cause the top is poison, you know, and the macrobiotic people thought the raw people were nuts. And the, you know, it's just like, there is not one way of eating for everybody. And anyone who says they know what your body needs is lying. You know, you can figure it out. And I find when people come to see me, there's this foundational work of healing they need to do before they can navigate the world of nutrition and, you know, quote unquote, healthy eating, because they have to divest from so much stuff. And then usually by the time we've done that foundational work and helped them to start to rebuild trust, then they trust themselves to take in this nutrition information and decide what feels right to them and what they want to reject. We're not saying that nutrition and food doesn't have some impact on health, but God, the way we talk about it in society, you would think that one meal has the power to heal or kill you, as Hillary said. And what I found in, you know, early in my work was, you know, we used intuitive eating, the book intuitive eating. And people inhale that book, they just like, you know, they whip through it, and then they get to the gentle nutrition chapter. And it just, it just derails them. And they even I think write about that in the book, 
you know, that, you know, it's important to work through the earlier concepts of this book, but people feel like they're flailing when they don't have the, the containment of a plan. And you know, within two hours of going on a plan, if you're doing it right or not, and you don't feel that with body trust, you know, you don't even feel that with intuitive eating, but you know, people don't feel that with body trust. It's like I'm flailing and then they don't trust themselves and they're eating the things that they deem not good. And of course they are because they've been so restrained and restricted. And so there's all this stuff to unpack on the way to healing. And we find, you know, so the other thing I wanted to say is in this bargaining phase of grief, many people believe they gave up dieting years ago and they've just been watching what they're eating or trying to eat healthy. And that's just upheld a dieting mindset. So we keep saying not now to health, not now to nutrition, not now because um, it's so disrupting to really coming home. Yeah, I think what you described when you were talking about all the different contradictory nutrition concepts out there and, and philosophies and how everyone is kind of pushed on you over and over again is something that Dan and I refer to as the nutrition jungle. That's like immediately what I was thinking about. It's just, it's just covered in so many things and you can't really see what's really there. And I think Dana, you're right. So many clients, the first thing that I want to give every single one that comes to me, is just the permission to eat, you know, and to not sit around and, and think about it so much or to give kind of like this big permission slip to say, you know what, this isn't going to make or break you, you know? And, um, I think that's what I like so much about your line around nutrition in the body trust book is that it's basically saying this isn't going to this you're not ready for this yet (laughs) kind of in some ways but and in other ways it's a everything you've ever learned about food you might know a lot about it but everything you've ever learned about food is dieting and it's not and if i bring that too soon to you in this really like vulnerable gentle state when you're finally going into this type of work it's doing harm instead of benefiting you long-term when really the work has to be done of getting you, getting you to this place where you can be more neutral. And like you said, take what information you want to take and then reject what you don't want to have and being able to make that kind of decision. But when you're still in it and still difficult for you to see through the jungle a little bit and being able to see one, that there is a jungle and two, that you can actually trust your body it's really hard to be able to reject anything um, or really accept anything either because like you said, we have it, you're not home yet. You're not there in this place to be able to accept it the way that you want to or to, to think about it the way that you need to or the way that you can or even have like the 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 ability to be able to think about it differently than the way that you have for so long. So that's what I I really love that about this book um, and something that we have in private conversations with our clients all the time. Like clients will come to me and say, Christina, I want a meal plan. No, you don't. Like you've had meal, you've had meal plans. (laughs) You do, but that's not what you need. (laughs) You do want one. I'm not rejecting the fact that you want it, but 
it's not what you need long term and you've done that before and look where it's gotten you you know like right here and you're getting that gets you further and further away from that 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 instinct that we all have and it is so true people gobble up the intuitive eating part and then the gentle nutrition they're just like no <laughs> no no i can't do this or they feel like they're failing at something, you know, um. or an alternative that happens too, because if you think about the way that people consume and have consumed diet books is most people flip right to the to-do list section of here's how to do this diet, right? So if you approach the intuitive eating book and principles in the same way, yes, of course, it's intended to be gone through in the way that the 10 principles are written of reject the diet mentality and, you know, everything else. But as we've talked about a lot on this show and with our clients, and I'm sure you all have talked about as well, when you're coming from a very perfectionist, all or nothing mentality of dieting, if we haven't done the work to unpack why perfection exists there in the first place, how this has served you as a coping mechanism and trying to create safety, and we then transition that into the intuitive eating framework, of course you're going to skip right to the gentle nutrition part because you think that, okay, well, if I just follow this to the T, then it's going to help me have a better relationship with food because it goes way back to being told and shown in different ways when we're so young of, oh, you can't trust your body for whatever reason. So then we're taught, okay, well, if you want to be in a, you know, quote, good body, a quote, healthy body, and how we're basically culturally conditioned to believe that that looks and moves through the world, we're told we have to outsource the information of how to feed ourselves and how to exist in this world. So the process of unlearning when we go back to, you know, circling back to what we were originally talking about is you have to do the unlearning first before you can even think about approaching even a concept of neutral nutrition, right? A lot of what Christina and I talk about is we have to discover like where did all this perfectionism and rules and outsourcing come from in the first place? And you all talk about this so beautifully in the book as well. And we have to go there first, right? For all those clients who come to us and they're like, oh, we want to fix it. You know, I need this. I need structure. I need guidelines. I need everything. And we're like, okay, well, Let's talk about why you think you need those structure and guidelines in the first place, you know. But at the same time with the permission slip of it makes so much sense why you think you need that because we're again told our whole lives that you can't trust your body's intuition. Your body's going to be sending you the wrong signals. You can't trust your cravings. You can't, you know, blah, blah, blah. You can't do all these things. Basically, your body doesn't know best. These, quote, experts out here know best. And then we all get caught up in that nutrition jungle, as Christina was saying, because on one side, the vegans are like, no, we are the way to salvation. And on the other side, the carnivore people are like, but we are the way to salvation. And then when health comes into the equation, you all talk about healthism in the book as well, which is so important to talk about too. It just becomes so heartbreaking and hard and also as clinicians we want to say we understand at least a modicum of why it's so hard even just at that level right not even bringing in the many different systems of oppression and discrimination that exist in people whose bodies don't look like any of ours right that we can never walk in their shoes and at the same time with all of those different pieces, it just makes it harder and harder to come back to your body and your internal way of knowing. I was thinking like, as I was listening to this, like 
part of the book, our book is about like helping people redefine what the problem is and redefine what healing looks and feels like as a core phase of doing this work. Hillary, what were you going to say? Well, I was also going to say that I think, you know, we've been so well conditioned to believe that everything that's happened is our fault. And what we're actually saying, if we really dumb it down, is like anytime my body's fatter than someone thinks it should be, anytime my body is, you know, doesn't fit the mold, there, I've done something wrong. I ate the wrong thing. I'm doing the wrong thing. If type 2 diabetes or type 1 diabetes are in your path, you know, based on genetics and, you know, the life that you've had to lead, the assumption is I've done something wrong and that's what's reinforced in, um, in medical communities. And that, you know, what we want body trust to do is really help people come home to the idea that what has unfolded, um, in terms of your body has not been your fault, first of all, and, um, that we aren't here to all stay healthy. We aren't all going to be small and that is by design. That's how it we're, you know, that is the, our expression of aliveness. And the more time we spend trying to avoid those things, the more we have to behave mechanistically and outside of ourselves and away from these conditions that are so strongly associated with good eating that never get discussed, right? Like hunger and fullness, you know, like, how do I know? How do I know when I'm satisfied? Do I experience all pleasure as suspect? you know, or can I, am I allowed pleasure and under what conditions, you know? So I think underneath everything that's coming up as we're talking is this idea that we are not, our lives cannot be designed around avoiding fatness and avoiding illness. And those two are not in the same equation either. I just want to point out, you know what I mean? That, that if we're doing that, we are not going to rest easy in our own bodies. Well, we've been told that we can't, right? And I think that's like the the truth. And that's one of the things that you kind of are leading into, I think, uh, in the book that you guys talk about is widening the lens and locating yourself is kind of what I'm gathering from you if, um, that you talked about. And that's a tool um, that I think is really important to kind of share. One of the things that Dane and I refer to those moments is kind of when we're having something called a body image spiral when we're kind of like spiraling into this mm -hmm. negative space around our body and how we're thinking and how we orient ourselves in it. And your idea that you guys wrote about in widening the lens and is I think really impactful and really helpful for those moments when we tend to get zoomed in on wanting to get fixing solutions. I'd love for you to share a little bit about what is widening the lens how do you locate yourself and reconnect to your thinking, uh, reconnecting your thinking mind to your physical body and kind of breaking away from the heady space that we can get into in those moments? You know, some of the ways that we talk about coming home is, um, is really about allowing yourself a process with body trust, knowing that there's going to be an unfolding um, and 
one of the things we do first is acknowledge where our body trust was ruptured or where it was, um, where we lost access to it. And so, and part of that is also um, really understanding our own body stories. Like what really happened? What messages did I internalize early on? What was I told was expected of me as my body's caretaker? Um, what, how did I learn to take care for a body and of my body and how did that impact my sense of connection to it? Right. And, um, how did messaging about who I am in the world and my identities impact what I believe is actually something that, um, how did that frame what I have access to in this culture in terms of taking care of myself? Um, you know, we then talk about ways that we can kind of deepen our roots into body trust, you know, and a lot of that is small, consistent acts over time. Like Dana said early on, we don't immediately trust our body just like we wouldn't immediately trust someone who we, you know, had a rupture in a relationship with. And we build it with small, consistent acts over time. And a lot of those acts are about interrupting diet culture. So we also work hard on calling out diet culture where it's showing up in our lives and acknowledging it. We have to acknowledge that our, we may be calling out diet culture and still engaging in behaviors that, um, that are more, you know, associated with diet culture and that's okay. You know, that we're in a process. Um, we have to, feel what we feel about the frustration of hitting this place in our lives where we can't go back to what we were doing before, but we definitely aren't super excited about what's coming ahead. We often have to grieve significantly, grieve the ways we were duped, grieve that we're not going to live in the idealized body, grieve that we've spent a lot of time and money on something that wasn't fruitful in ways that we expected to grieve that our mothers are never going to understand what we're up to, you know, like just grieve it. And we grieve and we grieve and we grieve. And after we get through some of that process of understanding what happened, then we are going to feel like a little bit more alignment around doing things like finding enjoyment and trust and pleasure or, reckoning with our identity as an eater or moving towards forms of movement that don't trigger us. Um, and really also having agency and a voice in regards in a community of people that believe in our worthiness. So deepening trust is something that involves all aspects of us and it doesn't all move at the same rate all the time, but working on any one of those things especially the early things like calling out diet culture or, or uh, understanding your body story, doing some grief work tends to move the other elements too. 
And I think in the book, um, you guys have a really great visual of this, of the tree. Yeah, yep, yep, yep. Um, diving into the deeper roots, right? Like you start at the top and then the deeper roots. And that's, those are the things that keep up, like I think you guys said in there, like keep us fragmented and constantly striving. And that's really, and to me, that's like the resilience that you have to like, you, you have to have those deeper roots in order to dig into the resilience that you're going to need to keep going. Because like you said, Hillary, you, you, you've, you've left the, you've left the ship. Like you can't go back on the ship anymore, but the road ahead feels daunting and overwhelming and very isolating at the same time. Uh, And it is really isolating at the same time, which is why we appreciate in the book that you talk about building community and having people around you, because if you're going, you're really are going against basically everything that everybody is told that's being consistently and regularly thrown back at you every single day in various ways it's coming back at you every time like come on return over here and you know too much now you know you've been too educated at this point to turn back and it usually feels like crap when we turn back we might get a good couple days out of it but it's not it's not going to consistently be okay yeah it's like um you know um so so true and so I think I really like the way that you that you broke that down. And I think sometimes we lead to sometimes those moments can lead us to those places of having like kind of like we call them like a dark place where we feel like we have to we want to go back um, so badly. And having those the tree, I think, is a really great visual of being able to think, where can I dig deeper down to kind of bring myself back up? Um, to reframe this in a way that allows me to say like, oh, I'm still hurt here. I still have these places that are still hurt. And that's why I want to go back. It's because I'm still really, really deeply impacted and hurt by what happened, that rupture that you guys talk about. Yeah. Um, and how do we go back to, how do we not go back, but how do we continue to on our journey home, <laughs> you know, when we're feeling that, oh, crap, I'm still really hurt. And I'm continuing to get hurt here and there. Um, and yeah. that dieting, you know, diet, returning to dieting doesn't repair hurt. It never has repaired hurt. It's created illusions or periods of time where we liked ourselves more because that, and that was rooted in some very conditional ideas of our own worthiness. You know, I think that's, um, that place of knowing, like really getting to that place of knowing that you can't do it, like you can't do what you've always done and you really want your body to change is like such a hard place for folks to sit. And, and that is part of the work. It's all part of the work. It's not because you're doing it wrong that you're, that's just a place we get to that can be really painful. That's where the grief I think arises. Um, And we use this roots metaphor because, you know, the deeper your roots, the less likely you are to get knocked over. So when your roots, you know, these seeds are just planted and you're listening to this for the first time or introduced, you know, it's your, the seeds that aren't even germinating. They're just like, you know, but one gust of fat phobia comes, you're out. Like, (laughs) but when you have deeper roots, you may sway, right? but you, you kind of upright yourself because we're not, we don't get hooked. Like those things that sometimes pull us out, right. Of ourselves, of our truth, 
they're not as strong because our roots are so solid. We have community. We've been working on locating ourselves, you know, recognizing our multiple, uh, you know, dominant, non-dominant identities, our privileges and our oppressions, right? And also, um, you know, I think part of that, that like when you, you, you kind of spoke to this, people will listen to this podcast and then they'll move on with their day. And within an hour of listening to this, they'll get 35 messages that counter this, right? And they'll, it'll force them to want to zoom in. I feel like when my clients come to me, you know, they've zoomed back in and then they come in and we have our session and we widen the lens and we look at everything and the totality of their life and this culture. And then they go out into the world and the world is going to world and they zoom back in and then we come back and we widen. And this is such a big part of the work. And one way we stay in that place that when we're, we know we can't do it, it we're, we really have or have come to terms or are starting to really come to terms with the fact that it's not going to work and it's never going to work. And yet we, this is so new and so terrifying because we've never been told we could trust ourselves in our bodies. Yeah. That was amazingly put. And we love that. Well, first the graphic in the book is amazing because it does allow you to see all of the different, you know, pieces that need to germinate from those seeds, right? And so it's such a powerful image to keep in your head of like, okay, you know, I'm relatively new at this. Like I've just planted these seeds. I'm not expecting this to be a giant 150-year-old sycamore tree when we just started going along with this. So we wanted to start to wrap things up. And ask both of you, you know, aside from obviously everyone should go buy and read the book or listen to it or however you would like to consume it, because even just going into reading the introduction and the preface will get you hooked to want to read this book. We love it so much. But what is something that is you would both love to leave people with from the book for the end of this episode today? I think I just, you know, I want people to know that the experience they've had in their body has not been unusual, you know, and the struggling has not been unusual. And um, living in diet culture may is made to seem that it is unusual and needs to be re- fixed somehow. And I just want you to know that, you know, if you've struggled in your relationship with your body, if body acceptance feels really, really like hard and like you want it for everyone else, but not for yourself. I just want you to know how typical that feeling is and how normal it is and how not alone you are. And I wish that there was a different fix for this um, that was less scary. And I don't know that there is, uh, but I just want you to know that there's a lot of people like us out here who are moving on and beyond from uh, the struggle. Yeah. That there's a growing community of people. And yep. that is so important to remember because we can feel so alone. Uh, you can feel so alone when you're choosing something so radically different than what most people are, you know, just kind of going with the flow while you're a fish swimming upstream, that <laughs> metaphor, right? I think, you know, so often this isn't your fault, um, that you're not broken. That's another one that people often, there's sometimes clients are like, I can get that maybe it's not my fault, but this idea that I'm not broken, I don't know, right? But it's not your fault. You're not broken. And, you know, 
trying the same thing over and over again, expecting different results is the definition of insanity. And the best way um, to cultivate something different in your life is to try something different instead of just trying harder. Yeah, well, I think that's the way we're ending it. We're ending it today. Like that's such a perfect way of putting it. And um, thank you both so much for coming on today and with us your your years of experience that that led you to writing such a beautiful book that. I believe, and I know Dana believes too, that every single person needs to be reading this book, whether they know it or not. <laughs> Immediately. Uh, and so uh, go out and buy it. Um, we don't say that about everything. <laughs> so, no, we do so not. So please do it. It's such an amazing um, foundation for people to dive deeper into all of this work and that it is deep work. So thank you again, Hillary and Dana, for coming on. We really we really appreciated the opportunity to, to dive into this with you guys more. Mm, thank you for having us. Yeah, thank you so much. Hey friends, it's Dana. And thanks for listening to the Wholehearted Eating Podcast. If you enjoyed the show, please share it with your family and friends. Subscribe so you don't miss an episode. And if you can, we would absolutely love it if you left a five-star rating and review wherever you listen to podcasts. This helps spread the word so more people can find the show and learn how to break out of diet culture, the body image spiral, and find a more peaceful relationship with food in their bodies with wholehearted eating. If you're interested in learning more about how you can work with me or Christina for one-on-one nutrition counseling or checking out our self-paced courses, head over to wholeheartedeating.com. And we'll see you again here next week.